right, welcome back, fight fans. This is episode number 161 of The Neutral Corner. And as you can see, we are live on YouTube. Thank you to everybody who's watching us live right now. Uh, for those of you who listen or watch live and all the other platforms that we're on later on, we thank you as well. Thank you to all of our <clears throat> Patreon supporters and everybody who supports Montero Unboxing. Uh, we continue to keep growing and try to get this thing bigger and badder all the time. So those of you who follow me, you know that I am renovating a house. So uh, I'm still in my apartment. That's why you just see a great white wall behind me. <laughs> At some point, there will be a studio and it's going to be pretty badass. But right now, uh, we're getting all that in order. So I can see uh, we got a few of you guys watching live. We got Kento, Ricks, Hamed, MGB Tacos on here, Johnny Boy, Deluded Dwyer, <laughs> uh, Sydney, Sid, Sidner Gee, Albuquerque in the house. All right, man. Thanks so much, guys. So, uh, yeah, TNC 161 for the week of March 9th. I am Michael Montero, your host for Boxing Monthly Magazine in BoxingMonthly.com. As you can see, I'm holding up the uh, January issue because the February issue was stolen from my mail. Some prick in Atlanta has my February Boxing Monthly issue, you bastard. I will find you. And oh yeah, we're gonna get even. But anyway, all right. Um, before we get into some news and notes, wanna give you guys your fee for this week, 161. Of course, tell everybody about the live show. Now that we're live every Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern uh, and 4 p.m. Pacific time. But click the little bell here on YouTube. So I think uh, next to the, oh, as I bumped the microphone, um, next to the subscription button, the subscribe button, there's a little bell, click that. Make sure you click that because, and sometimes you have to check because YouTube for whatever reason will unsubscribe you and it will uh, unbell you. Click the bell, make sure, bell you, boxing reference. Oh, uh, make sure that you click that so that you guys know and you're you know notified whenever I do a video. Okay. Let's do some news and notes. So not a whole lot going on right now, right? We're kind of just waiting for things to happen. We're kind of in a holding pattern, which really sucks because I really thought that February, March, April would be a lot busier. I've talked about the World Boxing Super Series with uh, some of the financial issues and everything. So what happened is one of their financial backers, I, I don't know if they went bankrupt or there was some sort of issue. I haven't gotten the, the uh, really clear indication as to exactly what happened, but one of their biggest financial backers, there's an issue. It's been resolved, but it pushed everything back, right? So that kind of got things off to a bad start this year. Ivan Baranchek officially pulled out of the World Boxing Super Series a couple weeks back. However, Sauerland has been very clear, and Schaefer as well, that the contracts that the fighters signed for the World Boxing Super Series, basically, they don't leave their promoters, but they sign over to the WBSS. So their promoters are still involved on the back end, but no longer are they running things. World Boxing Super Series kind of takes over running things for a while once you sign up for that tournament. And apparently those contracts are airtight. So Sauerland was saying that Baranchek really, he can't leave unless he wants to face litigation. So they're going forward with his scheduled date, which I think is uh, May, for for him for to fight in the, the semifinals. And I do think that Baranchek eventually is going to call, you know, fall back in the line and end up fighting in the semifinals, Josh Taylor, over in Scotland, because uh, he doesn't want to go into litigation because not only is that going to cost time, it's going to cost money. He's not going to be in the ring. So uh, there's seven figure paydays on the line here. Some of the bonuses from the quarterfinal round were paid late. And I think that was the issue for certain fighters. All that's been resolved. I do think Baranchek will fight in the semifinals against Josh Taylor. Uh, but also holding pattern. So, uh, Tyson Fury signs that deal with ESPN, the top rank, right? So now, uh, obviously, when you have a deal like that, a multi-fight, multi-year deal that's gonna be tens of millions of pounds, tens of millions of dollars, the network kind of dictates terms. They kind of take over. And yeah, Frank Warren's involved, yeah, top rank's involved, but ultimately ESPN is gonna have more say. 
As part of that deal, two fights a year for Fury have to be in the USA. He's pretty much a twice a year fighter. So basically he's gonna be fighting in America for the next few years. Turn down the volume on the mic. All right. Guys, let me know how that is and I'll stop screaming. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. A couple of you guys said it was too loud. All right. Um, let me know how that is. If that uh, sounds better, I could turn it down more. Trying to find volumes and all that good stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, Hamed asked no callers. No, Hamed, we don't have callers yet. We don't have that feature yet. We're trying to get the... You're getting the same question. Tiffany's on the opposite side here, engineering, and she's getting those questions too. Uh, guys, yeah, we're, we don't have the call-in feature yet. Right now, we're just trying to get the live video feature down. As you can see, we're working out a lot of kinks, and it's going to take some weeks and some months to master this. Then we'll add the call-in thing. So one thing at a time, guys. Uh, but yeah, thank you everybody here for uh, being on. And let me make sure, okay, no one's complaining about the volume right now. So I guess we're good. Anyway, what I was saying about Tyson Fury, obviously him with this ESPN deal, they're not gonna go right into the Wilder rematch. They wanna build that. They wanna build up that pay-per-view. The first one did like 325,000 pay-per-view buys. They wanna double that. They'd love to triple it. They're not going to, but they'd love to double that. So they're gonna build it. So they want him, Fury, doing a tune-up fight, a showcase fight, whatever, to build up the Wilder rematch. It's gonna happen, but we're gonna have to wait. So the WBC has said, okay, cool. They've been informed by uh, Tyson Fury that he's not going into the immediate rematch. He's taking a tune-up. So that means probably gonna see uh, Deontay Wilder fight Dominic Brazil probably in May. Brazil has been this mandatory forever and a day. There's kind of this weird mandatory situation with the WBC that involved Dillian White. It's probably going to be Dominic Brazil. So that's where Wilder is going to go first. Now, should make this clear. Um, Wilder is a network free agent. I've talked about this in the past. But uh, there, there have been a lot of offers, man. Top Rank just made him an offer. The rumor is it was a four-fight, I think, let me see. Uh, I think it was a four-fight offer to, uh, to Wilder from Bob Arum in top rank. I believe Eddie Hearn and Matchroom offered a two-fight deal for him to come to DAZN. Now, you know what both of those guys were thinking there. Bob Arum, he wants to sign him so that they could bring him over to ESPN and build up that Wilder Fury series. Maybe there's two or three of those fights. For, uh, for Eddie Hearn, he wanted to bring him over to DAZN to build up the Anthony Joshua fight. So, there's kind of a sweepstakes for Deontay Wilder right now. I think he's going to stay a network and promotional free agent and just let his options continue to build. It's a risky move by him, but let's see if it pays off for him. Anyway, yeah, guys, we're going to get Wilder Fury 2 later in the year, possibly early next year. I hope it's later this year. But uh, the second half of the year, I think, is definitely going to be better than the first half. Just things got off to a slow start. Um, one more thing, Gennady Golovkin. No news to report. I've been telling you guys for months, I think he's going to sign with the zone, but a lot of you are frustrated that he's taking so long to sign. I share that frustration to a degree. Some of you have asked my opinion as to why that's taking so long. Let me just give you my viewpoints on that. And I think that you guys got to remember, I think Golovkin was in the 2004 Olympics. 2004 Olympics, that's 15 years ago. And he got ripped off in those Olympics. He got a silver medal, he should have got a gold medal, right? He really, really feels he got ripped off in the first Canelo fight, I agree. A lot of people out there feel he won the, the rematch with Canelo. I think that was a close fight that could have went either way. I definitely think Golovkin won the first fight. So he feels he got ripped off and screwed by the system there. For the better part of a decade, Golovkin was toiling over in, in Germany, almost not a full decade, but you know, at least half a decade over there, uh, waiting, lined up to fight Felix Sturm, being cock-blocked by the promoters and the, the German power structure over there, had to completely start over here in America. And I wrote about this in a piece, my first piece I did actually for, um, for Boxing Monthly Magazine. It was called Hurry Up and Wait. I, an article I did in Boxing Monthly Magazine. And I talked about things that a lot of boxing fans are just not aware of, that Golovkin and his team had to make a lot of concessions. And they were basically making just enough money to pay for camp, 
to pay for trainers, to pay for cutmen, to, you know, cover costs. Golovkin really wasn't making any money for a while there. And this is while he had a world title. Now, he didn't really beat a good fighter to get that WBA, whatever version of the title it was, I think the regular title. But technically, he had a world title. And because he was going through litigation with the German promoters, uh, he couldn't fight in Germany. I don't think he could even fight in America for a while while all that was going on. So he kind of took his act on the road, and he was barely covering cost. They had to pay out money a lot of times to get guys to fight them. So after a decade or more of this crap being screwed over in the amateurs, you know, in the Olympics, again, I'm speaking from Golovkin's point of view, being screwed over in the pros by the Nevada State Athletic Commission and the whole deal with Canelo, getting paid well for it, but still being a victim. Golovkin feels that he is finally in a power position and he is taking his sweet ass time and he is going to get every single term that he wants on the contract he eventually signs. And he and only he will break it. It's not going to be Mike Coppinger. It's not going to be me. It's not even going to be the network or the promoter. It's going to be him. He will give the information. He will break the story, quote unquote, okay? Any hashtag or headline that says breaking next to Gennady Golovkin's name, if it ain't coming from his mouth, that shit ain't breaking. It's clickbait, okay? It's going to come in the next couple weeks. It's going to come very soon. I know I've been saying that shit for a couple months, but really, they know they got to get on track to line everything up for the, the third fight with Canelo uh, this September. So he's got to get in the ring in May, June. They got to announce it soon, and they know that. It's going to happen, okay? That's it for news and notes, guys. Just like I said, not a whole lot going on. Let me see uh, a few questions here. Man, there's a bunch of you in the chat. Thank you so much, man. I do have a question from who? I see a bunch of them here. Thoughts on Tiafima Lopez versus Totley? Is that the one you're talking about? That's from Clint. Okay. I just, by the way, got my first iPhone today. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I've been an Android guide, so Tiffany is guiding me on that thing. I have no idea. But Clint S. S. Thoughts on Tiafima Lopez versus Totley? That is on, um, what card is I think that's on the Crawford Khan card coming up. I think that's great exposure for Lopez. It's going to be in New York, obviously, and uh, he's from New York. It's going to be pay-per-view. I don't know how well that pay-per-view is going to do, but I do think that... Um, okay. I think that's going to be a, a good showcase fight for him. I think it's... Um, I don't know a whole lot about Totley, but I know he's not nearly as good or as seasoned, at least, as experienced as Magdaleno. So I think that uh, I expect him to look really, really good and, and put on a real showcase. That's a big opportunity for him. Top rank, man. They're doing a great job with him. He's making it pretty easy, though, because he looks so good. Um, let's see. It's Crucial asks, what do you think about Manny Pacquiao? I don't know. What do I think about what about Manny Pacquiao? Um, I know he's probably going to be there for the Spence Garcia fight ringside. He talked about that this week. And um It'll be interesting, you know, if um, if Spence absolutely murks Garcia, which a lot of you guys think he will in like three or four rounds, I don't see Pacquiao fighting him. If, let's say, Garcia pulls this amazing upset and wins a decision, a very close, maybe controversial decision there in Texas, and, and just pulls this off, it becomes, at that point, if, if Garcia beats Spence, he's a top two or three pound-for-pound pound fighter, he might be the top guy, I don't know if I'd put him that close. It would depend on how he won. Either way, he'd be in the discussion, top three pound for pound, right? At that point, I think Pacquiao would want to fight Garcia, and I think it'd make a hell of a lot of sense. So he's going to be there watching, plus it's going to be a chance to be seen, and Manny likes to be seen. Okay, um, Sarah Lechek asks, what do you see happening on Jacobs, Canelo, who wins and how? You know, I, I do think Jacobs poses some... Um, some stylistic problems for Canelo. He hasn't fought anybody that tall and skilled and rangy, but I like Canelo's bodywork and his come forward style, the way he fought Golovkin in the rematch. I think that will serve him very well if he fights that way against Jacobs. Jacobs likes people coming to him, but Canelo has underrated head movement and defensive ability. I think he's going to slip a lot of Jacobs' work. Jacobs simply is not busy enough, and he will get outworked and lose a decision 
the way he did against Golovkin. All right, Johnny Boy asks, I'll ask a, a quick question, bro. Do you think we'll eventually see a Lomachenko Tiafima Lopez fight? Yes, I do. That's an all top rank fight. I do think we will eventually get it. Um, the sooner it happens, the more it favors Lomachenko. The more time it takes to happen, the more it favors Lopez. If I'm Lomachenko, I might pull a Mayweather and he fought Canelo five years before he was ready for that fight. If I'm Lomachenko, I might fight uh, Teofimo Lopez now. However, you look at the numbers, when Mayweather fought Canelo, he still brought a lot of numbers and money and fans, even though Canelo was really just a baby contender at that point. Uh, Teofimo Lopez nowhere near that popularity level. So if you're Lomachenko, why go after Lopez now? In a few years, that could be a really big fight. I definitely think uh, top top rank will want it and Lopez will want it. I'm not so sure if Lomachenko is going to want it. We'll see. Uh, Azie asks, let's see, uh, what is happening with the Okendo WBA situation? Wow, Frez Okendo in the WBA. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any recent news on that. If there is, I, I missed it. So you might have to tell me. Let me know in the chat. But uh, for years, Frezo Kendo has had the WBA by the balls. There was some contract thing where he is owed an eventual shot at the WBA title for like the upteenth time. The WBA, because they have 5 billion versions of the title in every division, they get locked into these legal situations sometimes. And Frezo Kendo has just had something on them. I can't even remember the specifics of it, but it goes back to a contract you're talking years ago. This might go even five years ago or something like that. It might be that old. And uh, because Okendo just doesn't fight a lot and everything's tied up in court, he's always done more fighting in court and he's you know a lot better at that than he is at fighting in the ring. At some point, he's owed a shot at a version of that title. I, I don't know the situation right now, though. Uh, let's see. It's crucial. Mayweather versus Pacquiao 2. Your thoughts, Michael? They'll probably do it again at some point. I've been saying that for years. I, I wouldn't buy it or pay for it, but a couple million of you will. And I will say this, uh, two things. Number one, I hope that they're smart enough not to put it on pay-per-view and to put it on Fox, PBC on Fox, because it could do record-breaking numbers, like seriously, like Super Bowl-esque numbers. It really could if they promoted it the right way. But... Um, if, if they don't go pay-per-view, I think that'd be awesome. We all know they will because Floyd's involved and Manny. They both love pay-per-view money. But because at this point, in the first fight, Manny had slipped more than, than Floyd. Floyd was closer to his prime. Now they've both slipped. So that might actually make the rematch more fun. Okay, a uh, couple more uh, questions, guys, and then I'm going to get into the review. And I'll get back to some of these questions later in the episode. That's what's cool about the live show. I can every few minutes answer a few questions, right? I'm going to answer one more, and then we're going to get into the review. Uh, James Patterson asked, does Loma dominate Anthony Crolla? Yes. In a word, yes. Crolla will keep coming, and he'll make it competitive, but... Lomachenko will dominate. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's review what took place last week. So uh, last Tuesday, February 26th in Tokyo, uh, minor upset, I guess you could call it. Filipino Vic Celudar scored a unanimous decision win in a 12-rounder over Japanese fighter Masataka Taniguchi. And this was the first defense of his WBO minimum weight title. I don't know if that was, you could call it an upset. I would just say a Filipino guy fighting in Japan and getting the decision. You know what I'm saying? It, obviously, the Japanese fighter was favored there. On Saturday, German heavyweight prospect Ajit Kabayel improved to 19-0 with 13 knockouts. This is the former kickboxer. Uh, beat a, a good, rugged, experienced veteran in Andre Rudenko. Rudenko has lost four times when I was a pro, but he's never been stopped. He, he stepped up and fought decent opponents four times and lost all four times. He lost to Lucas Brown, Huey Fury, Alexander Povetkin, and now Caballel. But he's never been stopped. So, um, you know, I don't think it looks bad at all that Rudenko took Caballel the distance. The fact that Caballel got the W against the guy, you know, at that level, good, passes this test. But it doesn't really put him ahead of guys like Lucas Brown or Huey Fury, who beat a younger, fresher version of the guy. So there's still the jury's still out, but for now he has passed this test. 
Another prospect who passed the test with flying colors Saturday in Peterborough, England on the zone. UK featherweight prospect Jordan Gill improved to 23-0 with seven knockouts, scoring a TKO three win over Emmanuel Dominguez, dropped him twice in the third round before the ref stopped it. So when you look at Gill's record, doesn't look like he's very powerful, right? 23 wins, only seven knockouts. Here's the thing though. A lot of those fights were four rounders, a couple six rounders. I looked further into his record. He's had five fights scheduled for eight rounds or more. Only five of the 23 fights so far have been scheduled for eight rounds or more. In those five fights, he's 5-0 and with four knockouts. So his knockout percentage is 80% in fights scheduled for eight or more rounds. So I do think the guy's power is underrated. He doesn't have elite world-changing, game-changing, fight-changing power, but he has respectable power, and he's proved it in these fights that go on a little bit longer. He needs some rounds to set it up, but the guy has respectable power. Uh, the only guy to take him past the seventh round is a UK journeyman gatekeeper-level fighter named Jason Cunningham, who also just took Michael Conlon the distance, and a couple years back took Khalid Yafai the 10-round distance. So he's a good quality, rugged guy, and he's the only person who's been able to go past the seventh round with Gill so far. So good-looking featherweight prospect out of the UK. I know you guys over there are excited about him, uh, Jordan Gill. Now here in the United States at Barclays Center on Showtime, uh, in the main event, well, let's talk about the co-main, heavyweight action. Cuban, 40-year-old. They called him 40 years old in the broadcast. He's in his mid-40s, but he looks like he's in his 50s. Luis Ortiz scores a 10-round unanimous decision over German-based Romanian Christian Hammer. And uh, Ortiz, look, this was competitive. Uh, Hammer actually landed some nice counter right hands, bloodied up Ortiz's nose, slowed him down visibly in the later rounds. But in between those little one shot at a time that Hammer would land, Ortiz was landing all kinds of shit. He was, had a beautiful jab all night, nice body work that visibly bothered Hammer, who has a soft midsection. However, after the sixth or seventh round, Luis Ortiz just slows down. And I saw visibly just the body language, the little bit of fighting experience I have, I could read it on his face because I, I can see those things, you know, that nuance. He knew he wasn't going to get Hammer out of there. And Hammer gave him enough to think about with some of those counter right hands to where Ortiz kind of pulled back. He hit the brakes a little bit. In the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth round, he worked and he landed combinations and everything, but he didn't throw everything in the kitchen sink at Hammer. He kept it under control because uh, the guy, he's old. He has some health issues. We've talked about this in the past. And he's just not the same fighter after six or seven rounds. So if you fight, Anybody, whether it's Anthony Joshua, you know, uh, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, if you fight Luis Ortiz, this dude is dangerous as hell the first five or six rounds. Ask Deontay Wilder. He was all but out for a while against, uh, I can't remember what round that was, maybe the fifth round or something against Ortiz, right? Dude's dangerous. But after the mid-rounds, he fades. So all you got to do is play, you know, I don't want to say play four corners defense against him. You got to punch and make him work. But if you can survive the first half of the fight with Luis Ortiz and you have the skills to box, you're golden. That's pretty much what it is. Now, against a guy like Christian Hammer, who's a you know journeyman, Ortiz is fine fading late in the fight. And he looked fine in this fight. No worries. But against those elite, the, the big three in the heavyweight division right now, ain't going to get it done. So that's just, that's the story with Luis Ortiz. But one thing, you know, he has fought three times since losing to Deontay Wilder last March. So three times in a year. I like that. At his age, keep this dude busy. He's fighting journeymen, yeah, but they're, they're tall, sizable, experienced journeymen. Good work for him. It's basic, it's, it's rounds, it's sparring basically. And it keeps him busy, keeps him in shape for that eventual either rematch with Wilder or a title fight with one of the other guys that I mentioned. So good for him. Now in the main event, Brian Carlos Castaño and Irislandi Lara fight to a split draw. Uh, one judge had it real close for Lara, one real close for Castaño, one had a, a draw. 
And so Castaño keeps his WBA junior middleweight title. Lara, of course, was coming off that loss, that tough, tough loss to Jarrett Hurd last April. It had been almost a year outside the ring. Castaño beat a French journeyman-level fighter, Cedric V2, for the full version of his WBA title. This was a big leap in opposition for him. I thought at times he looked a little confused, a little overwhelmed maybe by the moment. Just some of the body language I saw in his corner. He just was kind of shaking his head and visibly frustrated. But give him credit. He kept doing what he does. One thing we learned in this fight, Castaño pretty much has one speed. If he was a pitcher, he just throws fastballs. That's it. That's all he's got. He doesn't have a curveball. He doesn't have a slider. Doesn't have you know anything else, right? Doesn't have a knuckleball. Fastballs. So Lara, at first, won the first couple rounds, but then the third, fourth round, it started to look like Castaño's pressure was really having an effect on Lara. Some of the body language, you could see it was bothering Lara. But Lara made an adjustment, I believe, in the fifth round, and he knew what was coming at him. He saw that one speed, and he just made an adjustment. Lara being the crafty veteran boxer he is, he saw what was coming at him. And all night, I, I couldn't understand. Lara was just moving to his left. I don't think Lara moved to his right once. And Castaño, he cut the ring off pretty well. But I don't understand. Like He could have cut the ring off better. He could have just moved to his right all night long. Get off, move to your right. Get off, move to your right. Make Lara change direction. Make Lara change what he wants to do. Instead, he followed Lara around for a lot of those later rounds. After 10 rounds, I had Lara ahead 96-94, six rounds to four. I thought Lara was winning the fight. But in the 11th and 12th round, Castaño came out, balls out, threw over 200 punches in those last two rounds, and outworked and out-hustled and beat Lara in those two rounds to earn the draw. I thought the draw was very just. So I know some of you guys hate punch numbers, but this is a case where they matter. In the last two rounds, Castaño landed 44 out of 206 punches, all right? 21% accuracy. Lara landed only 24 of 144 for 16% accuracy. So, all this matters. Castaño threw a lot more. He landed almost twice as much, and he landed with better accuracy. Now, Lara was shooting shots upstairs, pot-shotting at the head, one punch at a time. Castaño was working the body. The body shots don't look as flashy to some of you guys because some of you guys see the jab snapping the dude's head back and that looks impressive to you. But I'm telling you, particularly you guys who have sparring and, and or fighting experience, body shots matter. And a lot of times those body shots do a lot more damage to a fighter than a, a nice, snappy, impressive looking jab. It depends, okay? Nuance matters, but for my money, Castaño, those body punches did the better work in those last two rounds. He won them. The draw was just. Lara, sometimes he just gives fights away. I thought he did this against Canelo Alvarez back in Vegas several years back. Tiffany and I were ringside for that one. We covered that one live. And I remember watching it thinking, Lara's going to beat Canelo Alvarez. Holy shit. And then he let himself get out worked late. It's just something he does, and it's on him. You can only complain about getting ripped off so much, man. So that's that. Uh, if they do a rematch, cool. I think for Lara, it'd be better to do a rematch with Castaño. If he does a rematch with Hurd, I think he's going to get hurt. I think Hurd is really, really good and only getting better. Castaño, I don't see an elite level type guy here. I see a guy who's going to hold this title for a while and eventually lose it. That's what I see. Uh, one last card uh, last Saturday was in Columbus, Ohio. This was the one that was streamed live on DeBella's site. And New Zealand heavyweight Junior Fa improved to 17-0 with 10 knockouts with a TKO1 win over French journeyman. It was a rough night for uh, European heavyweights. Junior Fa is 6'5", 29 years old. He's got anytime you're that big and... Um, you're that big and you can move a little bit and you have some power. People are going to be excited, but the jury's still out on this guy big time. He's really a project. All right, that's it for the review. Let me get to a few questions, and then we will go into the preview for what's coming up this week. Um, let's see. MGB Taco asks, how do you see a Benavidez plant fight going? Whew. You know, right now, dude, if they fought right now, I'd favor plant. 
because Plant's been active. And I just think he could outbox Benavidez, who can be a little one-dimensional. If Benavidez gets active again, and he's comfortably making 168, and he gets a couple fights in, and in his rhythm, Benavidez can win that fight. But that would be a really, really good one. I'd love to see that. Hamed asks, Mike, any news on UCN Live? Okay, UCN Live. Let me talk about this for a second, just to, to give you guys just a lowdown. UCN Live is basically no more. It kind of has been stuck in a holding pattern for a while. The talent, if you will, I'm going to use air quotes when I say the talent, because, uh, you know, I know that sounds corny to say that, but the on-air talent at UCN Live was upset about money. Those of you who follow my channel, you've you heard me talk before. There was about a year almost where I did not do 10 count. I did not do the show on UCN Live because they didn't want to pay me what they owed me. And we had an agreement. There's a certain dollar amount, you know, a certain contract rate, a day rate, if you will, that I'm supposed to get for appearances. Uh, some shows and stuff I call into because it's just fun. And, you know, certain podcasts and stuff I'll guest appear on because it's fun. But for the most part, uh, you know, I don't do free work no more. I did a, a few years of that shit to build myself up. No, I'm getting paid for this shit now, okay? So if I'm doing work for you and I'm doing an entire day of taping your show, you're going to pay me my day rate. So for a while, they didn't want to pay me what they owed me. I didn't show up and be on the show. And a couple of you guys, to your credit, thank you very much. You started to blast them in the comments section on the episodes that they did post. Where the hell is Montero? Well, they, they saw those comments. So thank you because they eventually called and they eventually paid up. They got me paid up to where I was supposed to be. But after another year or so, again, with the money issues. And what I can't understand with UC and Live is the investors were television producers. I'm not going to say their names, but there are investors on the back end who are multi-millionaire television producers who work for massive studios that worked on huge films you guys grew up watching. These guys got money and they know how this stuff works. They just didn't want to invest in the product. And it sucks because they had a really good team of people, not just uh, in front of the camera or on the mic or writing, but they had uh, really good people, you know, industry, people who work in the entertainment industry doing their uh, mics, doing the lighting, filming stuff, editing stuff. They were paying those people because those people, you have to pay them. On-air talent, sometimes you can get that for free. A lot of the stuff you guys watch, if it's even if it's on TV, if it's independent, not union, those actors aren't being paid. So, and it's the same thing with in the media. You'll see a lot of people doing pro bono work and stuff like that, you know, uh, pay-per-click, that kind of shit. So the people behind the camera always get paid. You have to, but the people in front of the camera get screwed sometimes and enough writers and people in front of the camera bitched and complained. And we all kind of just got together and talked about it and said, you know what? Screw them until they want to pony up and start paying us. We're not even, my day rate is much higher than UCN paid. And I, I could say the same thing for Doug Fisher, Steve Kim and other guys. They usually get paid way more to do shows than UCN was paying. We were all doing it just because we enjoyed working together and it was a great project and it had so much potential. But one of the founders, Damon Bingham, passed away a couple years back. After he passed away, management kind of just fell through. And that that's I could rant about that for another hour, but I'll just leave it at that, guys. Uh, UCN Live is basically no more. And it's a shame. Maybe one day, they'll want to pick it back up. And if they do, the brand is right there and we'll all jump right back in. But as of right now, it's floating out in the universe, out in space somewhere. Azie asks, they say, oh, talking about the Fresno Kendo situation. They say, Okendo rejected the char fight. He should lose his position if so. I don't know why he would reject the manual char fight unless it wasn't the version of the title he wants. But it, it all comes down to the contracts, man. It, if it says somewhere in the contract, and if the WBA is smart, they would put this in there. If Fighter X turns down title fight within X amount of days, this deal is null and void. If it says that somewhere in there, then Okendo's gone. If it doesn't say that, 
Okendo, knowing him and his personality, he will take money out of his kid's future college fund to pay a lawyer to continue suing the WBA because that's just the kind of guy he is. Sebastian O asks, what do you think of Jacobs trying to skip the same day weigh-in against Canelo? Uh, look, guys, there, there's a lot of back and forth with Canelo and Jacobs and the, the rehydration and the weight stuff. I don't make anything of it. You know, um, Jacobs is trying to come in as big as he can, just the way he did against Golovkin. And Canelo is going to try to do the exact same thing. These are two guys who rehydrate and swell up a lot, you know, after the weigh-in. And they're both going to try to wiggle around and find ways to do it. In the end, is any of that really going to matter? Uh, have any you know weight on their fight? I don't think so. I still think Canelo, it's, look, it's in Vegas. Canelo just has to be competitive in rounds. He's going to get them. He's going to win a decision. That's what's going to happen. Okay, so as he adds, what do you think about Canelo enforcing 10-pound rehydration clause in the contract and lying? It was the IBF. Yeah, again, this is going back to the IBF rehydration clause that, tr here's the thing, the, the IBF rehydration clause is only if it's for an IBF title fight. If it's a unification fight, that clause is null and void. So uh, the thing is, if Canelo wants a 10 pound rehydration clause, they could write that into the contract for that fight with Jacobs. Again, ultimately, I don't think any of it has anything to do with how the fight's going to play out. I still think Canelo's going to win a decision. And I think that um, it's kind of much ado about nothing, honestly. The, the, to me, a bigger the bigger story with this whole thing is that it's in Vegas, and that just kind of changes the whole aura of it and all the rules and everything behind it. So, um, yeah. James Patterson asks, Lara's defensive skills overlooked. Yes, James. Yeah, by a lot of people, I do think they're overlooked. Um, very good defensive fighter. Doesn't move quite as well as he used to. At times, to me, looked very predictable Saturday night. It's easy for me to say that from my damn couch. It's hard to catch a guy like him that's so slick. But he used to move to his right, to his left. He used to back up. He used to have more uh, upper body movement. His feet moved a lot faster. All I saw him doing Saturday night was sliding to his left over and over He'd tie up, slide to his left, tie up, slide to his left. And Castagna really couldn't do a whole lot about that. All right, a couple more questions here. Uh, pound for Pound asks, if Bevel beats Smith, who does he fight next? Why has talk of Kovalev Bevel died down? That's the fight to make, number one versus number two. Both are with main events. They almost did it last year. Why not next? Okay, so Bevel will beat Smith. Um, Smith, you know, I'll talk about that fight later in the episode, but, uh, just too inactive, man. Uh, but Kovalev, I believe is a network free agent. Technically. Uh, yes, he's with main events. Bevel, however, is on the zone and he's with world of boxing as well. So he has a co-promotional situation right now. So, um, he's got a fight in the zone and they've got other things planned. He just did a deal with them. They're going to go their way. Uh, I'd rather see Kovalev Beterbiev. And I think that's a doable fight. I think that fight makes a lot of sense. And I'd rather see that first. I do agree, though, that right now, probably Kovalev and Bevel are the number one and number two guys. But because of the situation, the fractured network situation, I don't think we're going to see those two fight anytime soon. I do think it can eventually happen, though. Because Kovalev, if he wanted to, as far as I understand it, he could fight on his own. Okay, second question from Pound for Pound, then we're going to move forward here. Uh, why is it okay for Canelo to risk the Triple G trilogy? Risky May fight versus Jacobs, but it wasn't okay for Triple G to risk the first Canelo fight with a risky Saunders fight beforehand. And now apparently Triple G isn't allowed to risk the Canelo trilogy at risk fighting Andre in May either. Why can Canelo fight top five guys in between, but not Triple G? All right, so this is very loaded, dude. Um, the Billy Joe Saunders thing, look, Golovkin never ducked Billy Joe Saunders. Jo Billy Joe Saunders has spent an entire career ducking and avoiding everybody and you know testing positive for banned substances, and now he's moving up to super middleweight, so he shouldn't even be a part of this discussion. As far as Canelo Jacobs, that fight was signed, sealed, delivered 
way before anybody knew what the hell Golovkin was going to do. Golovkin's been talking to top rank, PBC, the people at the zone, and Canelo's not going to sit around and wait for him. And as I've talked about before, Canelo and Golden Boy, they didn't want to fight Jacobs right now. That's coming from the zone. The zone is bleeding money. They need subscribers. They have to make big fights. The zone didn't force, they can't force, but they did everything they could to influence Canelo fighting a top five guy this May. They would prefer it be Golovkin. Golovkin hadn't made a decision yet, so they had to go forward with somebody. And the only guy that could even come close to bringing in subscribers, you know, like a Golovkin could, would be Jacobs. That's the next best middleweight, right? It's the same thing DAZN's doing with Anthony Joshua, where they wanted to fight over in the UK in April. DAZN said, no, dude, we're throwing all this damn money at you guys in Matchroom too, right? They have, they have to deal with Matchroom more than Joshua. But so Eddie Hearn, look, you got to bring this dude over here in America. We need subscribers. We need Anthony Joshua in the USA. So that's more on DAZN. As far as Golovkin, dude, again, as I said in the opening of this episode, Golovkin's, in, in his viewpoint, okay, has made so many concessions throughout his career, and he's been kind of screwed by the system more than once, even going back to the amateurs, to the Olympics, where he, by right, should have a gold medal, but was ripped off in the Olympics. He is not going to let anybody dictate terms for him. There is no way in hell he would fight a Demetrius Andre right now as a tune-up after Dude, look at, look at his schedule. I understand the, the Vanez Martirosian fight. I, I know, yeah, that wasn't a top name. The only reason he fought Martirosian is because Canelo failed a drug test. It would have been, if not for that, Jacobs and then Canelo twice. So dude's been on a tear, okay? If he wants to come back and fight somebody like a Martirosian to get in the ring and make some money... And, it's, it's a tune-up, yeah, but it's more money-making, brand-building, building for the Canelo fight. Dude, that's, that's his prerogative. That's just He's at that stage of his career. I think Golovkin is two or three fights in retiring. I, I think he's thinking about post-retirement. He's thinking about business. He's thinking about buying a piece of the zone and having his, uh, his promotional company be tied in with the zone contractually after he's gone. So his mind is half out the door already. And yeah, he's not going to, it's not necessarily just risking the Canelo fight. Dude, Canelo has a fight scheduled right now. He's fighting Jacobs in May. Who the hell do you want him to fight? You want him to fight Andre right now on two months notice? Not happening. That's just not how this thing works. All right, guys, let's preview what's coming up this week. As I sip my drink, I love these little bubble drinks. Sugar-free, carbonated, light pop, but no sugar. Soda. Or soda. I call it pop. I always will. The bubbles pop. That's why it makes sense. Okay, Friday, March 8th, there is a Telemundo card from Mexico City and a DAZN card from Milano, Italia. So you guys check those out. And in London... There is a card from Queensberry Promotions, Frank Warren's promotional outfit that will be on ESPN Plus here in the US of A and of course BT Sport over there in the UK. In the main event, Liam Williams going up against Joe Mullinder for the British middleweight title. Liam Williams, since those two fights with Liam Smith back in 2017 at 154 where he spent the bulk of his career, he's kind of been all over the place weight-wise. He fought three times last year at 169 pounds, 174 pounds, and 159 and some change. This fight will be at the 160 pound limit because again, it's for the British middleweight title. And then prospects on this card, Anthony Yard, undefeated light heavyweight prospect, 17 and over 16 knockouts, going up against Travis Reeves in a 10 rounder. Yard is one of these guys who posts Instagram videos throwing 5,000 punch combinations, looks the part, but he might be Chris Eubank Jr. 2.0. We don't know yet. We'll have to see. Hasn't fought anybody yet. Called out Sergey Kovalev last week, which is hilarious. And Frank, I think it was Frank Warren who said, Kovalev should come over to the UK and fight Yard and yada, yada, yada. We're gonna beat him. Bullshit. 
you need to leave the UK to fight Kovalev because he's got the title or any of the other titleists. You're not the champion, dude. You're a prospect who's fought nothing but pizza boys. Uh, yeah, you're not fighting Kovalev right now or anytime soon. You're sure as hell ain't beating him. Anyway, so this guy, Reeves, has a nice shiny record, but he's beat absolutely nobody of note. He stepped up once in his career and fought Karo Marat in Germany and lost by TKO. So obviously Yard's going to win by stoppage here. And heavyweight action, Daniel Dubois, who is 9-0 with eight knockouts, 6'5", 21 years old, best-looking young heavyweight prospect out there, at least the most upside. He's very raw, but he's only 21, all that size. I've been saying it ever since he went pro. Dude needs rounds. His first four or five fights were like a round or two. He was just blowing these guys out. Well, he's getting rounds in. He went uh, the 10-round distance with Kevin Johnson last October. That was his first time going past the fifth round in any fight. And now he's going up against Razven Kojanu, who's a Romanian fighter, tall, tall guy. I think he's 6'6", 6'7", something like that. He's lost three in a row, but he usually goes rounds. Now, Luis Ortiz blew him out and knocked him out last year. But other than that, this guy, generally speaking, goes the distance or at least goes late in the fight. And I do think he's going to take Dubois rounds in this fight. I think that's good matchmaking from Frank Warren and their people to get Daniel Dubois some rounds. That is what he needs. Now, Saturday, March 9th at Dignity Health Sports Park. StubHub Center. In Carson, California, it is PBC on Fox. And this is uh, TGB Promotions putting this together. Uh, Tom, he, he pretty much does... Um, most of PBC's promoting west of the Mississippi. If it's in Texas or Cali, TGB Promotions is doing the card. In the main event, Sean Porter going up against Jordanis Yugas, the first defense of Porter's WBC welterweight title that he won against Danny Garcia last September. Porter 29-2-1 with 17 knockouts. Ugas 23-3 with 11 knockouts. Ugas is a couple inches taller, but the reach is the same. Uh, Cuban born now lives and trains out of Miami. He has three losses, but two of them were controversial. They were like split decision losses that he, you could argue should have won. He only has one legit loss and that was to Amir Imam, which was a unanimous decision loss. So he's never been stopped. He won an eliminator on the undercard of the Porter Garcia card. So he earned this title shot. So good for him. And uh, that is the headliner of that PBC card. There's a bunch of fighters on the undercard, including Robert the Ghost Guerrero. Yeah, he's still fighting. And then, so that's on the West Coast and the East Coast. Upstate New York, Verona to be exact, Turning Stone Resort and Casino. A card with a bunch of promoters working together. World of Boxing, Main Events, Matchroom, DeBella Entertainment, Star Boxing, putting this whole thing together. In the main event, Dimitri Bivol going up against Joe Smith Jr., defending his WBA light heavyweight title. Uh, this is his first fight of 2019, first fight since he beat Jean Pascal by unanimous decision in November. For Smith, he has only fought one fight, and it only went one round. He scored a first-round knockout. So he's fought one round since losing and breaking his jaw against Sullivan Barrera in July of 2017. So do the math here. Over a year and a half, going on two years, only one round in the ring, and you're going up against a dude who might just be the best light heavyweight in the world. This is a rough one for Joe Smith Jr. And I think Joe DeGuardia at Star Boxing really did a shit job taking advantage of the momentum this guy once had when he beat uh, the Polish fighter. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, scored a... Upset knockout on a PBC card and then fought uh, Bernard Hopkins. Knocked him out of the ring and into retirement, right? Andres Fanfara. He beat Andres Fanfara by knockout and then Bernard Hopkins by knockout. Had all this momentum, burst onto the scene, and they just did not capitalize. And now he's going in there and, man, it, this could get really ugly. It could get real ugly. Uh, we'll see. He's a physical, strong guy, and he might be... Rough and competitive early on with Bivol, but one round in almost two years. And Bivol's been in there getting a lot of experience. Just went 12 rounds with a veteran like Jean Pascal. I don't know, man. Uh, in the co-main of this card, Maurice Hooker going up against Mikel Lespierre. 
a, a Brooklyn fighter originally from Trinidad. Uh, Les Pierre has a record of 21-0-1. Extremely weak opposition, though. For a hooker, this is the second defense of his WBO junior welterweight title. Also on this card, Sergei Kuzmin, heavyweight prospect out of Russia, 14-0, a stablemate of Dmitry Bivol, and Brazilian middleweight, Yamaguchi Falcao, a fought in the World Series of Boxing, a very, very decorated amateur, Olympian, 16-0. Uh, He's going to fight on that card as well. So that's it for the preview, guys. Let's get to some more questions here. And then we'll wrap it. The first live episode of The Neutral Corner. Just think, man, five years from now, we're going to be sitting here in a studio. You guys are going to be calling in every week. We're going to have guests calling in, fighters, managers, other media members calling in at the top of the episode. We'll be chatting on the phone. It's going to be great, man. I could just see it right now. I could just see it right now. Okay. Uh, MGB Taco asks, is there going to be a rehydration clause for Garcia Spence? As far as I know, I don't think so. Uh, I know that there's full VADA testing, but I know that the IBF is involved in that fight. But is it, you know what? I was just thinking that's a unification fight, but it's not. If the IBF is the only title on the line there, then yes, there would be a rehydration clause. So uh, the IBF, if it's only the IBF title, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Garcia has the title yeah, he doesn't have a title at welterweight. He's never really even fought there. Uh, so, yeah, I think that there would be a rehydration clause because it's only an IBF title fight. So, you know, I think that's that obviously works for Garcia. That helps him out. Sarah asks, where do I see Kovalev going from here? I see Kovalev going for a unification fight. At this time, he wants money. And I think he would stamp his passport and travel if he had to. He wants to get paid a couple more fights, go for a unification. I'd love to see him fight better be of. I think that'd be awesome. Peter Thomas asks, who do you think Usyk should fight first at heavyweight? Well, Peter, he's trying to fight uh, Alexander Povetkin, but Povetkin is kind of balking at that. They were going to do uh, Usyk Povetkin in Chicago this spring, and everything was kind of agreed to, but Povetkin says he wants a tune-up before fighting Usyk, which is kind of odd. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really understand that. I mean, dude, you just fought AJ. So um, I don't know what's going to happen there, but if Usyk can't get Povetkin, it's going to be somebody on that level. I think um, a name, a heavyweight name, but someone who's kind of faded, you know, and past their prime, that would be a Povetkin. Um, a guy who doesn't hit quite that hard, it would be awesome to see him fight a guy like Luis Ortiz or something like that. But um, just promotionally, that can't happen. But somebody on that level, you know, he's obviously not going to jump right into a title shot. I think he needs two or three fights, and then he could go for Anthony Joshua. And I do think they're definitely going to fight Anthony Joshua in London in a, a year or two. It's absolutely going to happen. In fact, that fight will probably happen before the AJ Wilder fight happens. Hamid asks, Will Wilder Joshua happen before 2020? Oh, perfect segue. Uh, no, it will not happen this year. So before 2020 would be 2019. That would be this year. That fight ain't happening this year. No way in hell. Sarah asks, do you see a case against Hearns and the zone in regard to the Muhammad Ali Act? I think you mean Eddie Hearn and the zone. Uh... Without getting into a bunch of legality talk, you know, legalese, Hearn isn't violating anything any more than Al Heyman does over at PBC. In fact, I think Al Heyman, some of the practices there are a little more questionable in regards to the Ali Act. Um, so, yeah, I think everything's pretty airtight on that. Oleg asks, Eddie Hearn planning Usyk versus Povetkin for heavyweight debut May 18th. Just talked about that. What do you think about this fight? I just talked about that. I, I think... Um, I think it'd be a great first fight for Usyk in the heavyweight division. I think it'd be perfect matchmaking. It's still risky as hell because Povetkin's very crafty, still a top, at least top 10, maybe still a top five heavyweight, but at least top 10. And, and I, I do think that there's a risk of him catching Usyk with one of those counter hooks and hurting him bad. 
I think also just demographics wise, you have two Eastern European fighters. If they fought in Chicago where there's a big Eastern European population, I think it'd do good numbers. I think it'd make a lot of sense. I hope that all this talk of Povetkin wanting a tune-up fight first, I hope that's just him negotiating for more money. Maybe that's all that is, and it, it does happen. Punch for Pound asks, oh, at Tiffany, oh, Triple G's legacy was stolen from him in his prime. Oh, so you must be chatting. <laughs> no, you wanted me to jot down the question. Oh, you wanted me to? Okay, okay. So Punch for Pound asks, Triple G's legacy was stolen from him in his prime, so shouldn't he be making up for lost time? Facing as many Andres, Canelos, et cetera, as close together as possible, as often as possible. In theory, yes, but you have to understand, dude, th this era of boxing is so different than the 70s and everything. Setting up a pay-per-view fight now with all the network and legal issues and the promoting it and everything else, and then the sanctioning organizations, you, you get all of them involved. There's all these mandatories, there's step-aside money and uh, all this stuff. Dude, it's impossible. When you get to a certain level, it's very difficult to fight more than twice a year unless you're gonna take, you know, tune-up fights or, you know, uh, showcase type fights against lesser opponents because those are easier fights to make. Regardless of what you feel about Demetrius Andrade, and I think he's a real talent. I think he's a, a stylistic nightmare for anybody between 154 and 168. He's not a big name, but that dude ain't fighting Canelo. He ain't fighting Charlo. He ain't fighting Golovkin. He ain't fighting Jacobs. He ain't fighting any top middleweight unless he gets paid a ton of money. That probably means pay-per-view because uh, now on the zone, you don't have pay-per-view, okay, mind you, but he could fight Canelo or Golovkin. He's going to want so much money. The dude's kind of delusional. I don't know if he's worth that kind of money yet. So if you're Golovkin and, and, and the zone, think about this. It's not just Golovkin making decisions here, guys. It's the zone. It's Golden Boy. It's the sanctioning organizations. All these people have to get in the room and try to plan and play chess two or three moves down the line, 12, 18 months down the line. If the goal is Canelo Golovkin 3, and that's the big moneymaker that's going to make you tens of millions of dollars and get everybody's... Uh, you know, budget sheet in the black for 2019. Well, you got to get that all squared away. Andre's going to muck that shit up. Jacobs, for what it's worth, made the, the deal with Canelo very, very easy. Very, very easy. Andre ain't going to do that. So for Golovkin, dude, at this point in his career, fighting three or four times a year ain't going to happen. He's too old and there's too much at stake. When there's a potential for $50 million online, you're not going to rush it. Just not going to happen. Um, I'm just reading some more of your comment about him wasting his career. Dude, you, the thing with Andre, I want to see Andre in against the top guys too. But I want to see Andre fight somebody first that's worth a damn. I want to see Andre beat somebody that's in the top, at least borderline top five before he's even deserving of Canelo or Golovkin. Jacobs is every bit deserving of the Canelo fight. He fought Golovkin. He fought the Revyanchenko, right? So, so like, he deserves it. What the hell has Andre done? He just, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm trying to bash the guy. But he's almost, he's not quite as bad as Billy Joe Saunders. But he's almost like him. Dude just needs to get in there and fight. And if he is exciting if he beats top guys. Fans are going to demand the fight with Golovkin, with Canelo, and then it becomes worth the money. It makes, instead of making $15 million, it makes $30 million. And then they can pay Andre the $10 million he wants. Until that happens, dude, he ain't going to get that fight. It's a catch-22. It's crucial ass. Awesome on your first live ever show. Yeah, I agree. Where do you see the Charlo brothers for the rest of this year, despite Jermel losing a title? Do you think one of them will fight either Canelo or Triple G? I don't see either of them fighting Canelo or Triple G, sadly, because they're in the PBC. Um, they're going to have to go over to the zone to fight Canelo or Golovkin once he, I believe, signs with the zone. I think that's coming pretty soon. Um, 
for Jermel, who lost his title, he's going to get a rematch with Tony Harrison. He will win that rematch. I want to see him win that rematch and then fight Jarrett Hurd. That's a huge fight. That is an important fight. The winner of that fight suddenly becomes a brand. The winner of that fight can move up to 160, and they're a major player in that division automatically. Much bigger player than Jermall, who's done absolutely nothing there. I will say this. Jermall does have a WBC mandatory situation, right? So the sanctioning organizations can force some of these fights to happen that the network division is preventing. So perhaps they're, they're, the WBC is not going to get in the way of Canelo Golovkin 3. That's happening this year. But perhaps the winner of that fight has to fight Jermall Charlo next. That would be early 2020. So it is possible then. However, dude, you just never know what could happen. Let's, let's say Canelo wins that fight, beats Triple G, but let's say it's another controversial split decision win. And a lot of people think Golovkin won. Man, they might do it a fourth time. Canelo might take the WBC belt, just throw it in the trash. They might fight a fourth time. You just don't know. <clears throat> I'm losing my freaking voice. Oh, man. Uh, my picture was looking blurry there for a second. You're beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Hawker Mustang asks, how come Floyd looked like a chicken shit versus Manny, but it looked like a prime Mike Tyson on roids knocking out that little kickboxing Asian kid all across the ring? <laughs> I don't know if that was a question or more of a statement there. <laughs> uh, well, the little kickboxing kid is maybe a flyweight and he's a kickboxer. So that tells you why Floyd went straight forward on him. With a, with a little bit of a beer gut because he knew he was fighting a fraud against Pacquiao. He actually could lose if he uh, wasn't careful. So that was <laughs> a good question. <laughs> uh, Hamed asks, why do so many guys in the media regard Triple G as a top 10 middleweight when arguably his best two wins are Jacobs and Brooke? So I assume you mean top 10 all time. Uh, you know what? <sighs> I think he's arguably in the discussion for top 10 all-time middleweight. I want you now based on accomplishment, maybe not, but based on head to head, based on what the dude has done and also take into consideration his amateur accomplishments, they matter. Okay. Uh, name me 10 middleweights all time that you would favor to beat Golovkin. You, maybe you can, but there's not many that I, I could name that I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's definitely beating Glovkin. There's some guys out there I'd slightly favor to beat him. But how many guys do you out, out there throughout boxing history, middleweight history, do you think, oh, yeah, dude, I bet the bank they beat Golovkin. They, they win nine rounds to three, you know, ten rounds to two. They, they mop the floor with Golovkin. There's only a few of them. So I, I think he's arguably in that discussion, dude. Um, and then when you look at – He's kind of like Chocolatito. The majority of that dude's prime, unfortunately, a lot of you guys didn't see it. You just didn't see it. Chocolatito, I think, is criminally underrated by casual boxing fans who just did not see that. They thought his prime was when he was at 115. His prime is when he was at 108. It wasn't even 112. Chocolatito's prime was at 108. Golovkin's prime, the absolute best he looked probably 2012 to 2015, maybe 2013 to 2015, somewhere in there. That is the dude's absolute peak. And, you know, he was just getting into Amer a lot of the casual fans' consciousness around that time. So he's kind of, you know, just a victim of timing in that regard. But if you saw all those performances, yeah, he wasn't fighting killers. I understand that. But, dude, look at Bernard Hopkins' resume. Bernard Hopkins' best wins are over career welterweights. You guys forget Oscar De La Hoya started as a lightweight. Trinidad was a welterweight. And those are Bernard Hopkins' best wins. Now, he went on to have success at light heavyweight, but look at who Hopkins beat at light heavyweight. That was, you know, that was some smoke and mirrors going on there too. I give Hopkins tremendous credit. But he he you look at a lot of Hopkins' 
there was a lot of Antoine Eccles and shit like that in there, okay? He, he didn't necessarily beat just a string of killers all those years, particularly guys who were natural 160s. And we could say that about a lot of the all-time great middleweights. In fact, a lot of the all-time great middleweights, their best wins were against welterweights who moved up. That's just, there's a historical precedent there. It's happened a bunch of times. So I, I think Golovkin's worthy of that talk. Do I necessarily put him right there? I don't rate anybody all time who's active. You got to wait till the dude's retired. But he's in the damn discussion, okay? I, I think so. By the time he retires, I think he'll be in that discussion. Petter Thomas asked, do you think Fury's first fight with ESPN will be against the top 10 contender? No, I don't. I don't see that. It is what it is. Jason82 asked, my guy Montero. My guy Jason82. You coming to Philly fights next week, Farmer and Rosado? Unfortunately, no, brother. Uh, Tiffany and I are dying to get to a fight. We are going to Spence Garcia. We're covering that fight for Ring. That's why we're going. But um, right now, dude, it's just the house, the house, the house. We're trying to move in in early May. So I still got to get a lot of shit done. I just put countertops in the kitchen today, and I started building a bar downstairs. So we, she put down tile floors. I, I built out a half bathroom behind our bar downstairs, and she put down tile floors in there this weekend. So we're, st we're trying to get that shit done, dude. Every weekend we're spending on the house until May when we move. Starting this summer into next fall, we will definitely be going to more fights. I would love to get up to Philly for one of those shows up there. It's not far from here in Atlanta. It's maybe an hour and a half flight. Um, and I think it'd just be great to get up there and see. So we want to cover more of these fights, particularly on the East Coast and in the Midwest and stuff. And we will. It's just right now, dude, we're just getting the house together. Um, okay. One last question from October 4th. Oh, it's just a comment. He says, hey, brother, glad to catch you live for once. Great show. Thank you. And thank you all of you for tuning in. And uh, first show, I think, was a success. And um, many, many, many hundreds more to come, hopefully. I'll see you at the fights.